Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creannotators. I'm Dave Eusinkfeiner, an editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by Durf Factor, cartoonist and author of the recent Kent State for Dead in Ohio, in addition to other critically acclaimed works such as my friend Dahmer. Thanks so much for joining today, Durf. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, this book specifically. Kent State came out in 2020 and I think is a really fascinating um, in incredibly uh you know historically like research work that has this really applicable application uh today to be redundant um but i did want to ask you first what was the inspiration behind tackling the subject matter because you must have started this project uh sometime back and and preparing it now for what is the 50th anniversary of the the kent state shooting in which the you know for people who might be less familiar with the history the national guard um you know it's a long story and obviously that's what the book is about but at the big headlines where you know they killed four student protesters um so when when did you start kind of thinking about tackling the subject matter and and how did that come about well it's been on a it's been on a list of potential books for a long time it's it's uh always been a, uh, an event that i've been fascinated with because I grew up very near Kent, Ohio, yeah. in a small town, you know, just a few miles away. So it, when you when you live in this area, Akron and Cleveland, um, you you grow up with Kent State. You grow up with it's part of our, you know, history, and everybody has an opinion about it, and everybody knows somebody who was there. In my case, dozens and dozens of people, even though it wasn't my generation, you know, and it wasn't. I was just a little kid at the time. Yeah. Um, it's always just been something that's, that's really interested me. So I followed the history over the years, you know, I, whatever news broke, I'd, I'd follow it and, and talk to people who were there and, and just, you know, I was, uh, it just always interested me. And I knew that it was such a great story and a story that's really not that well known. I mean, people know people right. were shot there, but they don't know why they don't know how. And they don't understand all of these machinations that were going on behind the scenes and all the politics involved. And it's just, I just, you know, as a storyteller, you recognize a great story when you see one. And this one was just phenomenal. Yeah. And never really been done visually before. So that was the other opportunity mm. there, you know, to tell it uh, as a visual narrative because that has not existed up until now. Very cool. Very cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I had definitely owned that sort of ignorance of the history. Like I was familiar with the the event as a kind of lumping it in to like civil rights and protest movements or anti-war uh -huh. Vietnam movements from the era. Definitely in my own sort of like ignorance. I, I like. No, that's not incorrect. Movement. That's not incorrect. I mean, yeah, it, it was it was it was the, uh, the climax of this entire era, which is, you know, the most contentious era we'd had since the Civil War, when right. all of these when all of these great forces that were just tearing the nation apart came crashing together, inexplicably at this 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 university in Ohio, and you know the result mm -hmm. was tragedy. So that's I mean it's you're not wrong, right? And the fact that it happened at Kent State, I think the book does a a fantastic job of laying out the the national conversation, right? So you have President Nixon and kind of the national conversation and and like his his interest in stamping out anti-war protests and right. then also laying out like well why kent state because in i'll, I'll admit i did not have a a sense of the size <laughs> of the university definitely yeah I nobody does yeah nobody yeah. does Twenty one thousand kids yeah yeah no it's a big it's a big university and, yeah, and there's it's like there's bigger a lot now. going on it's bigger yeah, now right right exactly <laughs> um so yeah there's a ton going on i 
I'm curious, like what details of the story surprise you um, as somebody who is familiar with it as you were digging into the research? Were there things as you were laying out the story that even caught your eye that were like, oh, wow, I didn't I didn't realize this went as deep as it did or, or something like that? Well, yeah, a lot of the uh, undercover activity by yeah. uh, the FBI, by military intelligence, by probably very likely the CIA. We still don't know. That's classified. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but. Uh, you know, the, the federal government was absolutely, at that time, absolutely obsessed with the anti-war movement, and they wanted to destroy it. And they unleashed these, you know, all of their intelligence services on any college that had any kind of uh, anti-war activity. It's, it's incredible to think about, but um, these guys were everywhere. And they were moving about in the shadows. There were undercover operatives. There were plants. There were agents provocateur. It was nuts. Just a few years after the shootings, uh, another agent provocateur got caught trying to plant a grenade launcher in the offices of an anti-war group on campus. Oh, a grenade wow. launcher. Yeah. And the guy was busted. I mean, they caught him. So, I mean, it, and that's when it was kind of all started to be exposed. But it was classified for years and years and years. And then finally, in the 80s, uh, when the Freedom of Information Act was was opened up, all of these excesses were revealed, not just at Kent, everywhere. And, it, you know, it's, it's really shocking stuff. It's kind of been uh, forgotten history, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now it's, I mean, that was the whole point of the Patriot Act, was to make all of the things that had gotten the intelligence services in so much trouble in the, anti in the Vietnam era, it made all those activities legal, mm -hmm. which is which is kind of crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, if you had if you had told me without having read this book, like the things they were doing in terms of agent provocateurs and undercover agents, I would have thought like a lot of this sounds like conspiracy theory. But it's the, again, like the way you lay it out, that information yeah. is out there. It is source it is back. There's there's a whole federal movement from the intelligence agencies on down that are trying to undermine right. the anti-war protests. Um, right. And I've. I found all of that like both shocking and and fascinating, especially as we look at, I mean, just what are incredible modern parallels right, to exactly. the protests erupting across America right now. Exactly. And, and things that could be going on there that, yeah. that we don't know right now necessarily, but that, you know, history looking back might tell us like, wow, this was this was more extreme than we imagined. Well, um, that's why Eric Snowden is cooling his heels in Moscow, right? Exactly. <laughs> I exactly, mean, it's, right. the same, it's the same kind of thing. It's just gotten a lot more sophisticated. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So how did you approach uh, dramatizing the real life history? Because there's, you know, you have dialogue and conversations right. between players setting the yep. scene, you know, so it reads um, like, <clears throat> like firsthand accounts. And I, I know in your foreword, you mentioned like, you know, you're interested in portraying this as accurately as possible. There's extensive research here, but obviously to a degree, like you don't necessarily know literal dialogue, right? No, it's a dramatic recreation. I mean, I see yeah. that right on the, on the title page. And that's really the only way to do it unless you want to make it dry nonfiction, which was yeah. not, I mean, we've started off. It makes it, it makes it sound like it's this, you know, huge story about politics and, and undercover ops. And it's really, that's secondary. I mean, that's kind of background information. Mm. What it really is, is, about the four people who were cut down, these four kids. The oldest was yeah. 21, the youngest was 19. And the story is told entirely through their eyes. So over the course of four days, from the time trouble started up until the shootings, 
we see everything that they saw and experience everything that they experienced. What I'm trying to do is put the reader right on the ground with them. Mm-hmm. And one or more of them was present or at least witnessing everything that happened over the course of that weekend. So uh, it's this very, uh, I think it's pretty suspenseful, even though we know, I know that sounds crazy because we know what the ending is. But it's a, no, I, it's I a, agree, though. It reads that way. I it's mean, a pretty it's suspenseful crazy. story and um, uh, very personal story, very human story about these kids who were swept up in the great events of the day, not necessarily about the great events of the day themselves. And I believe that's the way that, you know, you really make people care about a story is when you make it about people. Yeah, I definitely had that experience of, you know, you get to know these these individuals and Mm -hmm. some of them that you're focusing on uh, are not even, they're not even really the anti-war protesters. No, only two of the four had nothing to do with uh, the protests at all. Right, right, which is which is wild. They kind of just get caught up in the action. I mean, that's as again, it's like you can't really spoil anything because it's history. Right, but just the way the book plays out. As you get to the end, it's just this increasing uh, unfolding again. Like comedy errors is the wrong word because there's nothing comedic about Cluster, it. Cluster, fuck is the word that's you're looking for. That's a better <laughs> word. Yes, um, where it's just like how it's every piece of it. I'm like, no way, no yeah, way. How right. how did this keep spiraling to the point right. that then? These totally, again, like innocent, you know, kids who are just on campus, right? Get literally caught in the crossfire, um, right. and it's well, it was, yeah, it was not a crossfire; it was, it was a salvo. Right. I mean, you know, these troops fired into a parking lot full of students, most of whom were just walking back and forth to class yes. because the university was open, it wasn't closed, and yeah. in fact, it was it was midterm week, so and it was the noon class break. And if you've ever been on a big university at noon, mm-hmm. you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, every building on campus empties, and it's just this massive crowd of kids moving about. And into that is where these soldiers open fire with combat weapons. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's really kind of a miracle that more people weren't killed. And as it was, four people dead, nine shot, uh, four of them critically, two of them crippled for life. So, I mean, it right. was indeed, uh, it, it was a slaughter. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty harrowing. I, I think the book does a really nice job, too, of I, I think any work like this, when you're looking at a historic account of things like there are these sides, like you said, like anyone mm-hmm. around the area has an opinion. About oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously that, yeah, for sure. And I think the book does a nice job just kind of letting the event <clears throat> play out to the right. point where you don't you don't really have to take a side. You know, I mean, I, mm. there are small things you do like calling out in captions, for example, when uh, the National Guard or, or sort of the armed forces are spreading misinformation. Yeah. You know, to like they will say things like, oh, they have snipers. And you're like, this is this was inaccurate, you know, because it's important. Right. How did was there a part of well, you that, that was not, you know, that was not that was not fake news like we have now, you know, with an agenda done by a third party. That was just yeah, scuttlebutt yeah. that got out of hand. That's all yeah. that was. And it just added to the you know, the us versus them mentality that was going on at that time between the guardsmen and the students who, you know, have different backgrounds, they, you know, completely different ages. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a lot of distrust going both ways. So that that's what that was about. And it played a part. But it should be pointed out that the officers did absolutely nothing to allay those fears or say, right. you know, that's not really true. In fact, they probably added to it. That's getting back to, you know, uh, the cluster fuckingness of uh, of what happened. It was really a, 
what Kent State was at the bottom line was incompetence mixed with a little of it, it, uh, malevolence. Right. And right. and the incompetence was just sweeping. It was mind-boggling. It was jaw-dropping. Yeah. And it was uh, uh, it resulted in people dying, innocent people dying. Right, for sure. No, the failures of leadership, I, I think, right. almost right. more than anything stand out um, mm -hmm. because you do have it's kind of like you mentioned, you have members of the guard, especially as the incident unfolds, who are just like confused and hot right. and tired. Right. And, yeah. and they have these masks on and they can't see and there's tear gas everywhere. Right. And then sure. you just have the leadership that is just completely failing them. Well, they were clowns. Yeah, they were clowns. And yeah. there's a lot of politics involved coming from the governor and the people. You know, it's like it's like it is anywhere. It was some really irresponsible, tragically irresponsible, criminally irresponsible. Uh, behavior and decisions and nobody paid a price for it. Nobody. That's okay. That's what I was going to follow up. So I was going to say, you know, we're 50 years later, uh, this has happened. Mm -hmm. You're presenting this information. And again, like to somebody like myself, um, it's coming across as relatively new. Uh, I think for a lot of readers, that may be the case who didn't live through it. Mm -hmm. it in your view, um, has, ha have any lessons been learned from Kent state? Like has, is the, do you think there's anything that has come since this time that actually, um, should have, or do you think this book is maybe one step in the direction of like, let's have an accounting for what happened here and, and learn something from these? Well, guys. it's both. Um, yeah. Certainly, it's extremely relevant to what's happening now. Chilling. Yeah. Relevancy. I mean, it's just terrifying. I mean, I, I'm looking at things that are unfolding now. Well, maybe now it's all been thrown, you know, kind of knocked off its tracks because the entire West is on fire. So mm -hmm. that's kind of uh, ended what was happening there. But, um, um, you know, I mean, other than that, it seems like we are just uh, hurtling toward another Kent State. I mean, yeah, the the lasting effect of Kent State is a really curious one. Um, it's that. After the shootings, remember, the guard, the guard were not law enforcement. That, I mean, they were they were troops and they were trained as combat troops. They went to boot camp. They had no experience in crowd control. They had no training in crowd control. And they were carrying lethal weapons. They had gas. That was it. And then they the went straight the, the to... The fact that their guns were loaded was another right. piece of it that I was like, what? Right. Why? Yeah. Why? Their guns crazy. were loaded. And they had uh, combat rifles, M1s, which, you know, was the, the, the great weapon of World War One or World War yeah. II. And um, bayonets. Well, bayonets are lethal, too. I mean, you run people through with bayonets. Yeah, And so uh, they were completely unprepared and completely unequipped. So what has happened since that tragedy? Uh, first of all, troops usually are not do not carry loaded weapons into civil situations. So what we're seeing in Portland and in those other places when the National Guard was there, their guns were not loaded. Yeah, um, that's kind of a standard now because of Kent State. And the other thing is that. Um, the authorities in this country have spent the ensuing 50 years since Kent State developing and deploying this vast array of crowd control weaponry, mm. well, non-lethal crowd control weaponry. So we have, you know, just how many dozens of different kinds of gases and rubber bullets and beanbag rounds and sound cannons and heat cannons and body armor and all of this stuff that was developed because of Kent State to... Well, to basically control us, <laughs> there's a happy thought. That's the lasting legacy of Kent State, which is, uh, I don't think anyone can really take a lot of uh, a, a lot of good feelings about that. 
No, no, it's certainly <laughs> certainly far from that <laughs> story, um, and which I think is you know the point. Right. Uh, there is this rapid escalation of protest in the country, and obviously there's a lot of opinion and thought around protest and kind of the <clears> right <throat> ways to do it and, mm. and this and that. And the book does a nice job, I think, defining different different um approaches to protests that were occurring, you know, at this time, right? Around Kent State, around right. the nation, sure. in, in the anti war movement. You mm -hmm. have, for example, like there's a, a really interesting history of kind of the weathermen and they're, yeah. they're very deliberately violent protest. Right. And then kind of uh, everyone else getting lumped into mm -hmm. that group, right? Where then the student like the reason or part of the reason Nixon is so anti-college at this point is because protesters they get lumped into like well they must all be weathermen they must all be violent essentially right. to a degree um <clears throat> the commentary on protests i think is is super relevant and interesting in terms of what's happening right now sure is there is there anything i mean you talked about like the actual response to protest is there anything you see today in the way that protests are carried out that like does it remind you of these anti-war oh protests? absolutely absolutely yeah. I mean, you know, the weathermen, who were actually a real group, they were not large, but they were maybe a hundred of them by spring 1970. Yeah. They were the radical, far, far left radical fringe of SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, which was the largest campus protest uh, organization with like 150,000 members. And somehow these guys seized power of SDS and... Uh, in a parliamentary coup, it was, it's really complicated, kind of fascinating history. I really kind of fell down the weather, the rabbit hole with these guys. Yeah. But they were, they were communist revolutionaries. They actually wanted to a violent overthrow of the U S government as preposterous as that sounds. Now, uh, they went underground in 1970 after destroying SDS in about five months and unleashed what was a guerrilla bombing campaign against the U.S. government. They bombed mm -hmm. the Capitol building. They bombed the Pentagon. They bombed uh, government offices and police uh, headquarters, about over 30, I think, in all, over like a three-year period. Yeah. And these guys were honest-to-God terror, domestic terrorists, and really America's forgotten terrorists. And everybody back then was obsessed with the weathermen or the fear of the weathermen, and the fear was inflated many-fold. We're seeing that with Antifa now, which doesn't even really exist. I mean, you know, Antifa is even more of a of a concoction. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just not even a thing. The weathermen were actually a thing. There were actually real people there involved who, you know, uh, were all over the FBI's most wanted list for years. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a definite parallel. And then, you know, some people, when there's some violence, you know, everybody gets smeared with the same brush. I mean, you're all violent protesters when in fact it's only maybe a dozen or 20 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that was the same thing in 1970. I mean, these parallels are all just lining up, you know, and yeah. a lot, in a lot of places, protests became violent in the anti-war era when the police attacked and when the, when the police started the violence and boy, we're seeing that now too. Right. So, I mean, the parallels are exactly the same. We've circled, it's always been my contention that we've circled back around to 1970, one of the worst years we've ever had. And we have apparently learned absolutely nothing along that journey. And yeah, here we sad. are again. Right, 50-year anniversary, and it's like, oh, wow, this is yeah, all we're just repeating literally it. happening again. So that's, you know, that was the real kind of relevance yeah. uh, of, this, of this book. And it's, you know, it's a cautionary tale.
That's not to say that you shouldn't take to the streets and protest or you shouldn't raise your voice or raise your fist. Um, I think that I think that you should. But you need to know, <laughs> you know, those guns, those guns may be loaded. <laughs> the, right. It's not safe. I mean, you may pay a price for that. That's good information to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. Um, this I think this book is well worth reading again, I think, in terms of oh, modern you. parallels, in terms of visually capturing what's happening. You kind of mm-hmm. mentioned how this is a story that. There's a history that's forgotten, but there's also not really a visual depiction of this right. um, in the same way you do it. What what was essential to you in terms of, you know, being the cartoonist to put it on paper? Uh, <laughs> you know, you do a lot of work laying out the like kind of the topography, the, the map of the mm-hmm. campus. And because even that stuff is like in my head, it was just, oh, there's protesters mm-hmm. lined up from the guardsmen. But then you actually portray this mad scramble across campus. Right. And it, it tells you what the craziness and again, like you right. said, the clusterfuckiness of of everything coming together. What what else was important to you to to portray visually as you can? <clears throat> well, I wanted to get the town right. I wanted to get the campus right. I mean, it's a period piece, so uh, it was important to me. I've done other period pieces, so it's important to me to get the period right. And um, particularly with with this story, you know, I wasn't a part of it. I mean. Like I said, it was not my generation. I wasn't there. It's not my college. I didn't go to Kent State. I went to Ohio State. So uh, I'm a complete outsider, and I had to really kind of learn what the topography was and what the uh, uh, characteristics of the town and the campus were, but not just, you know, that very small window, four days in May 1970. Um, that took right. that took a long time. I spent as much time on the visual research as I did on any other part of the research. Because I think that place, especially in comics, place is as much a character as a living being is a character, you know, in terms of storytelling. And the, and the town and the campus play a big role as characters in this, in this story. And I wanted to make sure that I had it right. Very cool. Yeah, no, I think it comes across well. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, you also take moments throughout the book I, I think interspersed pretty pretty selectively where the visuals are are there but it's also like okay we need to we need to get information across right. a, a much larger scale than the typical comics caption or dialogue huh, wow. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah i mean there is context and you need to like i said this kent state was the climax of an entire era so you know, if you don't understand that part of the history, um, you know, you need to work in that context somehow without interrupting what's, I think, a pretty tight narrative. Right. So that's oh, yeah. a, that's a bit tricky. Tight. That was a bit tricky. And uh, hopefully I pulled it off. There are a couple pages that are a little wordy. but um, Is there uh, stuff that, that felt like you had to leave on the cutting room floor in terms of the amount of information you wanted to convey? Because like you said, it's, mm-hmm. it's a dense story. You know, when you, like you said, it's only four days, but when you broaden it to try to summarize right. anti-war sentiment in 1970, right. that, that's a ton of information that needs to come across. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's, I think it's like a 230 something page graphic novel. And again, yeah. like by the end of it, it's a real fast read. Like it's, it's suspenseful and it's tight. Oh, um, thank you. With, yeah. Yeah. Was there stuff that you felt you wanted to include, but just didn't have a place for it? Well, yeah, there was, there were some things that, that got left out. I mean, I, the, the problem was that I had already exceeded my page count by the time I got to the end. Of mm. it. So, uh, Abram swallowed the extra pages, but, uh, there was, there were a few moments that I really wanted to, 
make a little longer, but I couldn't. There's a very dramatic moment at the end where a professor literally throws himself between the guard and, and the students mm. and prevents further slaughter. And I, I feel like I kind of gave him a short end of the stick on that. He deserved more pages, and I just didn't have them. And uh, I still feel kind of bad about that because he was a real hero that day. Um, yeah, there were a couple other moments that I wish that, you know, I've been able to. Uh, my problem is I write, I, I tend to write really tightly. So to adjust things once I've written it is, is, is a little tricky. I mean, you know, because you got to get, you got to have that page count come out the same way. So, you know, the, the pages lay out the same way. Yeah. So you just can't like drop in a page here or drop in a page there. You have to drop in two pages, you know, to make the spreads the same and things like that. So it's, it's tough. <clears throat> so I try not to do that. As a cartoonist, do you script for yourself and then follow that? Or do you kind of work through it organically as you go? Um, I do. I do thumbnails. I do the I thumbnail yeah. out the complete book. That's writing to me is, you know, thumbnails. So I'm doing shorthand illustration plus dialogue plus captions or i know you know i just write you know if i'm going to have one of those those context pages like you were mentioning i'll just write you know this page is about sds and then just leave it yeah. at that yeah um yeah but no I, I tend to and the, the thumbnails are are pretty accurate i mean once in a while you have a scene that you know you gotta you struggle over and you gotta rework it a couple times but the, for the most part it goes right from thumbnail to pencil to inks pretty seamlessly <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So throughout your career now, it I mentioned up front, you know, the bit, the work that I think really took off for critical acclaim was My Friend Dahmer, which right. is a, a really interesting account of, you know, the fact that you went to high school with a, one of the most notorious serial killers in American history. Um, and I, I think you've definitely gotten a, a reputation and a style now where <clears> it's very journalistic. Like you said, it's not documentary, but it's it's a historic retelling, you know, necessarily. Of, um, well, with those two, telling. with those two, yeah. I mean, the other ones, not so much, but those two. Well, that's that's what I was getting at. Is your other works are are less that? Is there, mm -hmm. is there a part of, like is that a focus, or do you like having a split of? Oh yeah, I like different creative opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I like I like different things. You know, I'll do whatever the story calls me to do. I mean, yeah. uh, with I mean, obviously, my friend Dahmer was a period piece um, taking place in the seventies, and Kent State was a period piece, so that's how I had to approach it. And those were documentary comics, so that's how I had to approach that. Uh, Trashed was kind of a mix of both because there was a lot of documentary stuff in there, which is fascinating, I think. But you know, is kind of wrapped around this, this you know, rollicking, uh, nauseating comedy. Mm -hmm. And then my first book, which is Punk Rock and Trailer Parks, is just pure fiction. So. Um, you know that was a completely different animal as well. I mean, I like to I like to try different things. I like the, doing all of it. Okay, cool. I, yeah, I was gonna wonder like, do you have a desire to move to more pure fiction post uh, Kent State, or is it? Yeah, I'd love to do fiction years? again. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to do fiction again. That's kind of a, a freedom that, uh, um, you know, uh, nonfiction or documentary comics don't have because you know, with fiction you can just take the story wherever you want it to go. Right. And no one can tell you, no, nah, you can't do that. With documentary comics, you're pretty much stuck with the story as is, and it's up to you to make it work, which is fun too. But you know, it's a different different experience. What um what has come out of having released this book uh, this year that 
that has been interesting to you in terms of reception, in terms of right. people talking about it? Has there been anything that has really stood out to you that you? Um, well, it's just it, working on it. It just came out, so I mean, it was supposed to be out in April. Well, that's right. It was supposed to be earlier, right? And, and it, it, yeah, it, it got delayed. You know why? Right. Um, until it came out last week. So um, the what surprised me is the uh, the response in Europe has been so off the charts. Mm. Um, I have a really good following there because all my books are translated in a number of languages. Yeah, uh, especially France, where I you know I, I uh, my friend Dahmer, mon ami Dahmer, sounds so much classier in French. <laughs> um, won an Angolan prize, so you know I have a really big following in, in France, which is nice, a, yeah. just huge comics country i mean it's just off the charts incredible hmm. um and kent state the build-up to that book it was getting like this major press i mean you know the national radio and all these newspapers and magazines are writing about it hmm. and my publisher tells me that you know the, the first printing sold out instantly and they've already rushed in a second printing and i mean it's awesome it's really yeah it is it's it's like this crazy thing that's happened to me where you know, all these books, these these odd little books about, you know, the American Midwest have found an audience in Europe that um, is, uh, I never expected that. And with each book, you know, and the reception gets greater and greater. And it's, it's, it, it's, I mean, I should be used to it by now, but it just blows my mind every time it happens. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I, I would say, I mean, Kent State definitely holds up in uh, compared to your previous works. I think it is oh, just thank good. You. I think the fact, like you said, it's recently out. People should, I highly recommend giving it a read even if you are familiar with the history or think you're familiar with the history i think again this goes into it goes into like the individuals and, right. and their stories and kind of the real life people that were around and involved in this yep. in a way that keeps it uh extremely compelling so it's uh it's one of i would say like the must reads of 2020 uh oh, thank you and yeah no it's it's a high recommend for me uh do you know I, this is always <laughs> weird coming off of the you know you just released the thing, but do you kind of know where you're heading next? Do you have any projects? No, in the pipeline? No, no, yeah, it's you know I mean this year has been such a nightmare. It's uh, it's kind of hard to to really be creative in this you know with this much anxiety and uh, in disorientation. It's really been a, a tough year. I mean I've been trying to to think of something new and uh, I got a couple, got some notes, I've been doing some reading and research, but I haven't landed on anything yet. Sure. And now I'm just promoting this book. So, because it's all, you know, it's all podcasts or online or virtual events. I mean, it's, you know, everything's been kind of thrown into the, uh, into chaos because of, uh, because of this pandemic. So uh, right. normal ways we'd promote a book. We're not doing that. I mean, I had a you know forty stop book tour go up in a puff of smoke in the spring. So, right. Um, so you know that's what I'm working on now, and uh, I'll do that probably for the rest of the year. And then next year, yeah, next year I got to figure out what's next. Is obviously the reasons for canceling the book tour are, are quite awful. Yeah. But is there is there any part of it like do you actually miss doing the the actual like travel and book tour? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I miss it a lot. Um, I was going to go to a lot of shows this year, um, and some I'd never been to before, like Van Caff. I'd never been to Van Caff. I heard really good stuff about it. Uh, I was probably going to do Heroes Con. I've never been there. Um, you know, I was going to all the indie shows, of course, SPX and TCAF and CXC and all those. And then I was going to San Diego and 
And then a lot of book festivals, Miami, Brooklyn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I was really, it was going to be a fun year. And, and there were like three trips to Europe in there too. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, so I was in mourning for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when, the, when the book tour went up, you know, I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. And I realized that's incredibly petty, but, you know, for comics creators, we are petty. And, uh, wow. And that's and that's the reality for a lot of people. <laughs> is is yeah. the personal impact of all this is it, right. it's everybody right? There's yeah. nobody nobody escapes it. So I get that. Um, no, thanks thanks so much for coming on. This book is again like strongly strongly recommended that people check it out. Again, you can find it via Abrams or I'm sure anywhere online. It's called Kent State for Dead in Ohio. Durf, thanks so much for joining. Uh, before I let you go, I, I do like to ask: Is there anything that you've read recently, comics or otherwise, that you don't think enough people are talking about that you would uh, recommend to people? gosh comics that i've read recently um you know i just rediscovered something called uh came out in the in the 80s and 90s it's called vietnam journal do you know this book no. by don lomax don lomax was a vietnam vet and he wrote this series for apple comics which was uh wendy and richard peeney's uh publishing house hmm. the elf quest the elf quest folks right yeah and um this is the punkest thing I've ever read. I mean, it is just, it's freaking amazing. Hmm. Uh, brutal, and just unforgiving and unrelenting. Um, what else have I been reading? Uh, mostly, not all old stuff, new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. Uh, I read uh, some of Noah Van Skyver's new stuff. That's always great. Um, Scott Chandler has a new book out called Bix, which I've been really absorbing, beautifully drawn. Hmm. Really been studying his use of spot color, which is a real art that I have yet to master and should. So I, you know, I'm like making copious notes once I'm reading books that, uh, that people really know how to do it. Like him and, uh, Kevin Heisinger. There's another one who's mm. really great work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I read comics differently than, than probably most people do because I'm like dissecting them and, you know, I just don't read them for enjoyment. Right? Yeah, I'm hopeless anymore. I can't read comics for just pure enjoyment. I mean, it just yeah. doesn't work that way. But um, I mean, that's how I absorb stuff. So it's 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 been it's been. Yeah, I've had a lot of time to read. <laughs> read more <laughs> comics. That's that's what I recommend to everybody during the pandemic. Read yep. more comics. Perfect, perfect ending. All right, thanks, Turf, so much. Uh, this Thank is awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Sure. All right, I'm gonna stop our recording. And then we sh-